Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. I'll be joined shortly by my brother Darren. Today on the show we're going to be talking a little about lime or calcium carbonate and how you could best use that on your farm, how much to use when and when not to use it. So we'll go through a few examples there and Certainly, we'll answer any of your questions. If you've got a question for us, you can call us, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, so we've talked about Lyme a lot on AgPHD TV and here on AgPHD Radio. But we wanted to run through this again a little bit today because this is the time of year when people begin to make their liming plans for the fall, at least in our region of the country. So as soon as crop comes off, then a lot of people here are soil sampling. And just as quickly as they can, they're getting fertility work done, which does include lime. So I just want to explain this a little bit first of all. Because let's say you're a non-farmer, or let's say you're a young farmer that you haven't been too familiar with lime and what exactly it does in the soil. Well, here, here's what you need to explain to people. And this is what I, I try telling people that get all concerned that, oh, there's all these great big piles of lime and it's I'm worried about the environment and everything else out there. Look, all lime is is calcium carbonate. So when that reacts with your soil, and by the way, it's going to react when you have a low pH soil. When you have a low pH soil, that means you have excess hydrogen, okay? So think about hydrogen. Well, that calcium carbonate reacting with the soil with the excess hydrogen is going to create three things. One, you're going to end up with water. That's H2O. Two, carbon dioxide, CO2. And by the way, a lot of people are busy talking about how terrible carbon dioxide is. Um, Let's keep in mind, that's what plants breathe in. So as this lime is breaking down over, usually we'll figure three years. Okay, so it's breaking down over three years. Most of that breakdown is occurring when? When there's heat. It's not going to break down very well when there's no heat. So when there's heat then you've got this breakdown. Okay, well, when there's heat, there's also what? Plant growth. So the carbon dioxide that's getting released from the soil, that's getting caught and absorbed by the plants. So it's actually really good for the plants. So anyway, you get water, you get carbon dioxide, and then there's calcium that's left over. So the calcium is going to basically help your soil become a little bit more porous. When we talk about calcium and magnesium. Those are the two primary elements that we've got in our so- in most soils. Okay, so calcium is a really big has a really big particle size. Magnesium really really small. If you have excess magnesium, not only can that drive your pH excessively high, but it can also cause a lot of problems in your soil with poor drainage and compaction because those tiny little pieces get kind of wedged together. There's no pore space for air to go through, for water to go through, or for plant roots. So you end up with a lot more compaction issues. With calcium, on the other hand, it's much, much, much bigger. 
And so then you end up with lots of pore space in your soil. It's a really good thing. I'm not saying you want all calcium. We need magnesium in the soil too. We just want to have a, a decent ratio. And a lot of times what we find is these soils that need lime, well, they, they need the pH adjustment, but then sometimes they also need just flat out more calcium in the soil. Now, if you are in the position where you go, well, I don't really need to change my calcium magnesium ratio. I'm actually a little short on the magnesium side. Okay, there are two different lime sources that we often talk about. It's calcitic lime and dolomitic lime. The calcitic lime has lots of calcium, very little magnesium. The dolomitic lime has quite a bit of magnesium to go along with all this calcium that's out there. So anyway, that's that's the difference and that's a really big thing and super important when you are picking your lime source. The other big thing that is important when picking the lime source, other than cost obviously, is what's the particle size on the lime? The smaller the particle size, the faster the breakdown. So that's why the on lime tests. So if you get a lime test from a lab, it will tell you what size sieve that ran through. So we want it to all run through ideally a hundred mesh screen instead of just a 60 mesh or certainly a 10. So if it could all go through a hundred mesh screen, it's telling you, hey, we get a really fine particle size here. That's awesome. Now, not only are you going to get faster breakdown and faster pH rise, but you're going to have just a more effective pH change. In other words, instead of just going from 5.6 to 5.8, you could go from 5.6 to 6, just literally because your particle size is really, really small. So what we always will encourage you to do is test your soil, of course, because you got to find out, number one, how much pH adjustment do you need? And number two, do you need calcitic or dolomitic lime? But then in addition, make sure you're testing your lime too. And don't just test it for the, the standard things that you would find with lime. So in other words, how wet is it? How fine is the particle size? How much calcium is, is in there? That kind of thing. I'd also suggest testing it for other nutrients. It doesn't cost much. So it's basically like running a soil test. And here's the reason why this is so important. On our farm, we get water treatment lime. There are a lot of people I work with that get sugar beet lime, for example. And there are many other sources for lime. Okay, well, a lot of these other sources for lime, like the sugar beet lime, like the water treatment lime, it can have a lot of other nutrients in there. Well, I'm lucky on our farm, if I have to lime some ground, I don't have to buy any zinc, I don't have to buy any iron, stuff like that is already in there. And I'm getting that for free. So when you figure your cost, you got to look at, hey, wait a second, if I was to fertilize with those nutrients, what would that cost me? So if I can get a little bit of nitrogen, or like with the sugar beet lime, you get lots of phosphorus quite often. I mean, it is worth a ton of money for you. So anyway, the last thing I'll leave you with as we open the show is just make sure you're running small grids or small zones. If you run too big a grid or too big a zone, you might not realize where you actually need the lime and you put it in the wrong places. That happened to us on our farm. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show and get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. That's all coming up today on Ag PhD Radio. Early does it. Strong early season defenses against seedling insects and soil diseases are key to a successful season. The leader in Inferro Solutions, FMC, helps protect your fields from the start with a growing portfolio of Inferro innovations. You can't predict the future, but you can plant for it. Visit your FMC retailer or inferro.ag.fmc.com to learn more. 
Always read and follow label directions for use. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting corteva.us. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And we're going to be talking about lime on today's program. Brian is talking just a little bit about some of the things that we're looking at for lime on our farm and, and some of the situations that we're trying to address here. You know, when you think about lime, it's an awful lot of calcium that you're putting out there. And there, there's different concepts of how you look at, well, how much lime can I put out? Well, one that I think is really important to look at is what's your base saturation of calcium and what is going to be the impact of putting a ton or two ton or multiple tons of a high calcium product out there. We got our friend, Paul Borges. Uh, he's a consultant out in the state of California to talk about this. Paul, how you doing? Good. How you doing? We're doing pretty well, doing pretty well. You know, when we look at a lot of the soils that we're liming and we're putting all this calcium out there, We've got low percentage calcium, high percentage hydrogen, sometimes high percentage magnesium too. And it seems to be a pretty easy deal for us that, well, no problem. We can put a bunch out. It's just going to raise that base saturation of calcium up into the 60 to 70 range. And, and that's great for us. But what about for the guys that, that have a little different situation out there? How big a deal is this base saturation calcium? No, it's, it's huge. I mean, it's, it's the center of, you know, of helping stuff grow. You need the calcium in the soil for a lot of reasons for water penetration, the flock, you know, flockway in the soil, uh, even guys in the sandy ground that, you know, you're balancing between magne magnesium and calcium. Sometimes we have to add a little bit of both throughout the growing season to keep <clears throat> the amount of calcium and the amount of magnesium in the soil enough for the crop where in the heavy piece of ground, you don't have to as much because it's there. All we're working on is building the calcium number and the base saturation up and bring the magnesium down a little bit. You know, you mentioned several things there, Paul. We, we think about just water movement in the soil when we get 
that soil, it's really short in calcium. A lot of times that soil is just tight and it, it doesn't shed water very well. And man, it, it just makes a mess if you get out there when that soil is wet. Getting enough calcium in there is kind of kind of the natural drainage solution. That 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 molecule that's going to flocculate or, or uh, uh, separate these particles and and allow more pore space, more air in the soil. It's just good on a lot of levels. Yes, especially down here, a year like this where it's dry and short of water, we're running a lot of wells, which means we're putting a lot of sodium on the soil. And if you have a tight soil, you're not going to get it to drain well. Then you're going to have other problems with sodium building up and hurting the crop. So by balancing the soil to the seat, you know, for the base saturation for your field, will definitely help with the drainage and keep that sodium moving through the profile instead of stacking and building. That's one of the biggest problems we're facing right now with as many walls as we got running. We have a lot of salts back in, so we're, we're definitely going to be spending some money on calcium this year to help correct some of these problems. You know, we think about the excesses out in soils, but I, I just think about getting nutrients into plants. We need we need volumes of calcium out there uh, to help get other nutrients into the plant. We, we think about things like boron in our soil. We've been applying three to, in some cases, five pounds of boron out in some of these heavy soils where we've got high levels of calcium. We're able to handle something like that, making big changes in a hurry. We've got, it's really a buffer. So there's a lot more to calcium than, than most farmers will ever talk about or, or maybe even have, have heard before. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, it's the reason why it's the highest in the base saturation. Mother Nature has an idea why it needs to be there. And our job is to get there close as we can to that number. And your brother was talking earlier about knowing what you're buying. You know, when we go buy fertilizer, we have a number. It's 10%. It's that when it comes to lime or even gyp, getting that tested to know what you're buying so you can make the right judgment call how many pounds you actually need out in the field is huge. You know, when we're looking at base saturation, another nutrient that you've mentioned here too is magnesium. And I know magnesium is the center of the chlorophyll molecule. We need lots of it. Uh, how do we adjust when we've got uh, a, a low base saturation on calcium and magnesium and we're trying to lime out there? We run the risk of running that magnesium down way too low. Uh, is it as simple as dolomitic lime or is there something else that you got to watch out for? Uh, I mean, depending where it's at, the dolomitic lime is our best friend. Because even though the CEC is very low, we need the actual pounds of mag and calcium to help that crop grow. And if I do it that way where I add magnesium or dolomitic, dolomitic lime, I will add a liquid mag in season to help me keep the numbers where they need to be. Yeah, it's, it's interesting with a, a lot of the different crops that we're talking about. And then, of course, if you've got irrigation and uh, challenges that are going to come at you on a consistent basis. You mentioned some of the salt issues that you get to fight. If you've got water that just isn't perfect and it's got some level of sodium or, or other impurity to it, um, dealing with that might require that you're, you're doing more with lime and with calcium on a yearly basis rather than once every three or four. Uh, how do you manage through some of those things? Yeah, it is it's definitely a yearly a yearly work through. Sometimes, you know, we add the mag, or I'm sorry, we add the lime to build up our calcium numbers. While we're getting there, 
I know that I got a, a, a well that's pushing out five to a thousand pounds of salt in a season. I'm probably going to add some gypsum in season to help I release some more calcium into that ground and help with the water penetration. And then look at all the nutrients that that plant by taking the tissue samples in season and then adding it in our irrigation system. Like right now, the trees, the almonds were all were halfway through harvest. And between the whole season, we were looking at tissue samples of what we needed and adding it in season. Sometimes it was adding a liquid calcium with some other miners and then come back the next irrigation with mag. It just, depending on what we need, but when it gets sandy, you have to really tinker with all those elements and try to get into the plant the best you can. Yeah, we always talk about on those sandy soils, the advantage is you can modify things pretty quickly. And even if you got a shortage, well, you can fix it in one year and you can have a great crop. The downside is you probably have to do some of those things, like you say, uh, which honestly, I mean, I'm sure it keeps you busy, Paul. They're, they're saying, man, I need an expert on this stuff. So thanks for sharing some of these tips. We appreciate it. But I wanted to say one more, one last thing online before I let you run. Uh, I know on our farm we were having some struggles on some of the micronutrients, and it was especially on areas that we had limed. And we had talked with Neil Kinsey, and and Neil is saying how, man, every time you're putting that big slug of calcium out there, you probably need to be adding some of these micros as well. Are there some go-to micros that you'd say, hey, if you're going to put a ton of calcium out there, I mean an actual calcium, uh, and and kind of maxing things out with the the load of calcium you can take in one shot. Do you have micros that you say automatically put some of these things out to avoid the tie-up issues? Yeah, as soon as, like, if we do the, the lime in the fall and the spring, depending on the soil test where certain levels are at, we'll definitely come back with the micro package in season to help to help out with all those while the calcium is, is being released. Because if, if we put any dry with it, you're going to lock some of that dry up dry fertilizer so you have to offset with some liquid or come in mid-season you can put some and broadcast depending on the crop you can broadcast some of the drive at that stage it'd be safer than applying it too close to an, a, a high lime or calcium application yeah lots of things to learn over the years uh, how to manage these different nutrients in our soils i think it's really important we take notes as we're doing this and keep track of what we did and pay attention to what kind of response we got out of that because it's easy to forget things, especially when you're making some of these adjustments once per season or maybe once every few years in the case of Lyme. We're talking with Paul Borges here as a consultant out in California is on top of things on a regular basis with his customers managing all the different nutrients out in the field. Paul, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. Good luck to you here. Hey, you too. You guys have a good one. Talking about lime applications on today's program, and I know when we think of, hey, let's talk about managing low pH soils, most times farmers will just say, well, you're just talking about lime. Well, there's a little bit more to it than that and in terms of figuring out how much lime you want or in what situations you may need to do some other things as well. We'll continue that discussion along with taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. In a world of Veltima fungicide. Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide. Okay, Veltima fungicide. 
No, that's literally the same. Veltima fungicide. Still doing it. Veltima fungicide does it. Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What if your herbicide was easy to mix and tough for weeds to resist? Anthem Flex Herbicide from FMC offers the most effective mode of action for spring and winter wheat, delivering long-lasting control of grasses and broadleaf weeds, including Italian ryegrass, rat-tail fescue, and downy brome, plus weeds typically resistant to glyphosate and Group 1 and Group 2 herbicides. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today talking about Lyme, and we're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, and of course, also taking your emails, radio at agphd.com. It's a good way to do it if you've got soil tests, uh, Lyme sample tests, those kinds of things as uh, our next guest, uh, we get Reed up in Manitoba, Canada, on with us right now. Reed, how you doing? Good. How you doing, Darren? Pretty good. Okay, so uh, I understand you want to talk a little calcitic lime, trying to to get those base saturations in mind and and possibly pH here a little bit too. Uh, give us an idea what you're thinking about here. Yeah, I was able to source some water treatment lime uh, not far from my farm. 
so I thought it might be usable to help uh, increase the base saturation of calcium. Um, so I had a, a sample sent to a couple of labs, and uh, one lab came back. Uh, it looked like it was about 6 to 1 calcium to magnesium, but the other analysis had calcium carbonate and magnesium carbonate, and that ratio looks to be closer to 4 to 1. So I wasn't sure if it was suitable to raise uh, my base saturation calcium or if I should be looking for something else. Okay. And, you know, when we think about this, uh, a lot of times with the line people are talking about cost and and uh, availability and those kinds of things. How, how close the source is the, the water treatment lime and, and what are your other options here? Uh, it's only about a half an hour uh, drive, so it's quite close. It would be, uh, I guess, the most economical source for me. Uh, there's not a lot of sources of lime in the area, um, so I wasn't sure whether, you know, if this doesn't work out, maybe it's not something that would uh, pay out to, to be working on the base saturation right now unless I could get it for free. Gotcha. Okay, so Reed, I just took a real quick look at this, and here are a couple of my thoughts. First of all, in your soil tests, your calcium to magnesium ratio is, um, well, it's almost one to one, as you know. So, in like here, here's one of the tests I'm looking at: 51 parts calcium, 45 or percent calcium, and 45 percent magnesium. So, yeah, I get it in that case. But I mean, when I look at those tests, those were um, like 7.6 pH. So, where you really need the the lime is, I mean, rather than gypsum, is where you've got the low pH. So, in your low pH spot, what I see there, and <laughs> granted, everything just looks to me like it's off the charts here. I can't imagine that you've got as much uh, hydrogen as they say you do. But according to this test, it says you have 92% hydrogen in your soil, which I think is not right. But anyway, whatever. Uh, it says you have 5% calcium and 3% magnesium. So I, I just, I don't think the, the data is accurate on that. I really don't. So I, I, I'd be interested to see what another lab had to say with the same test. But here's what I do know. Uh, when I take a look at that and I see uh, you, you've got this hydrogen high and your soil pH very low. It's 4.6% or, or sorry, 4.6 pH. Good grief. It's been a long day already, Reed. Anyway, all right. So 4.6 pH, you've got to get some lime out there. And I would just go with what you've got because whether it's four to one or six to one, either way, that's a way better ratio than what you have with the rest of your stuff where it's almost one to one for the ratio. So I would still sure. go that direction. Now, the other thing I would say is you did these tests and that's great. I love seeing lime tests, but I would be curious what else is in there? Because in our water treatment lime, we got a whole bunch of zinc, lots of iron, and we got some other nutrients, too, that I, I didn't really think about. But it saved me money on my fertilizer program because I at least had tested that lime. And as heavy as your soil is, you're probably going to put several tons out there. I would guess, I, I mean, well, anyway, I, you're, you're going to put several tons out there. So I just say it would be nice to know what you've got. Then the other thing that I'm going to throw out to you is I don't know how big your grids or zones are, but there's a 
obviously tremendous difference from this one sample that says 4.6 pH to everything else that you sent us. All the other tests, the lowest one I see here is a 6.2, which I wouldn't touch. And then you got a 6.4, you got a 7.8, you have a 7.6, and another 7.6. So all I'm getting at is we were in kind of the same boat where we needed a lime, but we only needed it on a small area. And I just hope that you identify that area well so you don't put lime where you don't need it because that's what happened to us. Yeah, I was hoping to do uh, one acre grid samples in the field before I went into the lime one. Um, but yeah, I figured I'd cross that bridge once I found a, an adequate source. Yep. Yeah, the other challenge is it's Manitoba, and man, some drainage tile would be amazing in some of this ground, too. Yeah, yeah, it's something that uh, we're working on. I guess uh, this year it'll be interesting to see the results. So we have one field that we tiled, and uh, we're we're on track to have a record year for um, most precipitation in a calendar year. Um, so I'm wow. expecting to see some significant uh, yield increases on that field. Yeah. But yeah, and where Darren's going with that is when we look at some of the things that are leachable, like soluble salts, sulfur, chloride, I mean, these numbers are all really high. So that's what would lead us to believe that there could be some drainage issues, at least in areas out there. Yeah, and it, it also gets the question of what do I spend my first dollar on? Now, if you're getting lime for nothing, uh, then, okay, cool, that's fine. We just decide how much we want of, of that free source. But when you think about do I spend money on phosphorus, I mean, some of these phosphorus scores are pretty low, or do I spend money on tile, or do I spend money on other fertility inputs. Yeah, but here, here's the whole thing, Darren. We talk about this on the show. And so, Reed, I don't know what your financial situation is or your availability to capital, but our dad always talked to us about a couple of things. He said, one, most businesses fail because they're undercapitalized. And so they can't take advantage of good opportunities. But the second thing is when we look at, all right, would phosphorus most likely pay in a lot of your ground? Yeah. I'm looking at one soil test here. It says 10 parts per million. So even if I did want to spend money on tile, I'd also still want to spend money on phosphorus. I, I, I mean, I know phosphorus is kind of expensive right now, but I mean, as long as you're smart about it and and continue fertilizing in the right ways, I think you're going to do just fine. But yeah, it looks like you got good, really good heavy soil, and I can understand why you want to get calcitic lime, and I would call that calcitic lime that you're getting. I mean, just barely. There's a lot of magnesium that's in there, but there is a tremendous amount of calcium that's in there too, so it, it wouldn't bother me to run with that. If that's the most available, that's economical. I just run with that. And then over time, if you just keep working on the fertility needs that you got on your farm and eventually, hopefully, you can get a little bit of that, get, get a little bit, little bit more of that drainage thing taken care of, I think things are going to be great for you. Yeah. One other question I had was just the, the lime itself, the moisture. I've never dealt with water treatment lime, but it seems like it's, it's very wet. Yep. And Yep. I wasn't sure if that's going to spread properly. I kind of was worried if I run that through a manure spreader, it's just going <laughs> to throw softball-sized yep. bumps everywhere, and it's not going to be effective. Yes, I agree with you 100%. So, like, the water treatment line we get, we have somebody spread it with a special spreader, not a regular manure spreader because we were concerned about the exact same thing. So, yes, that is kind of common where you've got a lot of moisture in that. I mean, like in your samples here, it's roughly half moisture. I get that. 
what some people will do is they'll bring it in and then they'll just let it sit in piles uh, and then it gets at least some time to dry out a little bit. So that would be a possibility. Otherwise, you just go have it over with with a uh, with a specialized spreader. Okay, sounds good. All right, good luck, dear Reed, and let us know how things turn out here in the future. Will do. Thanks a lot, guys. You bet. Appreciate it. Yeah, Reed's question there. I, I mean, it's. It, I, I can understand where he's going with this. He wants a super high calcium lime, ideally with no magnesium. But if it's not available close by, you also at the end of the day have to look at, well, what are the economics of this thing? And when he's got at least something really high in calcium, I'm perfectly comfortable with that. All right, we're going to talk more about lime coming up right after this. Stay tuned. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spin spring on the tractor and fall in the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. If we only had 20 words to talk about AgBiome, we would say we are agricultural innovators focused on unlocking the power of the microbial world to deliver unique, effective crop protection solutions. If we only had five words, we'd say learn more at agbiome.com. Conditioning low moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. Make 13% beans possible with 13% off all end zone bend systems from FarmShop MFG. Sale ends soon, so go to farmshopmfg.com to order today. AgPHD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the AgPHD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us.
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And Brian, we had a couple questions from Brandon uh, last week. And uh, he was, he had a couple follow-up questions regarding nitrogen. And I thought this was kind of interesting. Uh, he said, all right, guys, uh, think about these pre-side dress nitrate tests that we're talking about here. I've got heavy residue on the soil surface. So I'm wondering, first of all, is all the nitrogen that that test is going to show available or is that residue going to tie up a certain percentage and then follow yes, up to that? it's going to tie up a certain percentage. If I'm going to stream bar out there, and I know I've got this residue, and stream bar is my way to, to get the N out there, do you have any estimate on, on how nope. much nitrogen is going to get tied up in nope. residue? No, nope, I don't really have an estimate. I would just say if you bury it deep, then you will have less tied up. If you put it in streams or basically strips, then you would have le- on the soil surface, you'd have less tied up. You'd have the most tied up when you broadcast it. But when we talk about tie up, it's different than like phosphorus. For example, you could put phosphorus out there. It might get tied up for 10 years, tied up together with your calcium, for example. But this nitrogen, that's going to come available perhaps and most likely during this next growing season. So I'll just give you an example of even cover crops. A lot of people will use cover crops to tie up in the short term their nitrogen so it doesn't leach away. But then when that residue breaks down over the course of the very next growing season, there will be some nitrogen that will come back into the system. So no, I don't know exactly what that is because it varies so much depending on how much residue. If it's high carbon residue or high nitrogen residue, if we have lots of rain, if we have lots of heat, I mean, what you do for tillage, how many microbes you have in your soil, what's your drainage situation, how's your overall fertility program, I mean, what crop you're raising, when do you plant it, you see where I'm going with this. So no, I I don't know exactly. I just know you're going to have some tied up, and this is usually why we say just don't underdo it on nitrogen by a long ways. So if you need 100 pounds of nitrogen, don't be shorting yourself a whole bunch and always kind of figure, yeah, I might have a little bit tied up, and then just continue testing and and see where things go from there. Do tissue tests, do soil tests, and then hopefully over time you're going to be able to dial this in a little bit better based on how you farm and your local conditions. All right. Thanks for the questions, Brandon. We really appreciate that. I got this one in from Kelly up in North Dakota, and he said, guys, I was just enjoying a picnic with some sweet corn that we we got from a local grocery store. And I was just wondering, what is this that's on the leaves of the corn? Is it tar spot? Is it something else? You know, we see a lot of this kind of thing, Kelly, where there's some dark speckles on uh, one of the leaves of the husk. And sometimes we see Uh, some corn leaf aphids that are on there. Sometimes we see just where pollen has uh, caught in in between the the leaves and and it leads to a darker color kind of, I don't know if it's a mold or a rot on the leaf or something. So a lot of times it's just from pollen shed. If it is tar spot, you can try scraping it. If it's a raised bump and, and you can't scrape it off, 
then that could be tar spot. But in this case, uh, I'm going to guess uh, it's one of two things. It's not, I mean, it's a decent picture, but not the greatest one. I'm going to guess it's either just pollen that is, has gotten stuck there for a while, or it's possibly aphids, but I'm going with pollen. What do you think, Brian? Well, I can't really see because I don't have a good close-up. I just see some spots. I mean, my first thought was, oh, it kind of looks like aphids, but I can't tell from this picture if that's a bug, if it's if it's actual spots on the plant. I, I, I don't really know. All right. Well, I'm bending the sweet corn was awesome, Kelly. Uh, so thanks thanks for sending that in. We really appreciate it. Uh, okay, Brian, this one comes in from Scott. He's down in Australia. He said, he got a nitrogen question for you guys. Uh, I'm growing corn in 30-inch rows. I'm using dry fertilizer. I'm wondering, would I get any benefit out of banding the nitrogen beside the row? Now, here's my situation. I'm normally broadcasting, and then I've got irrigation, so I can irrigate that nitrogen in. Uh, but I'm trying to save fertilizer where I can. I got a heavy soil, 28 to 33 CEC. My uh, base saturation is 60% calcium, 30% magnesium. Uh, also, just wondering about gypsum, uh, how much gypsum water and time it will take if I wanted to get that magnesium down at least to 20 or 25%. Yeah. Um, we could run the math if we had if I had your soil tests on how much gypsum you would need to change that. But you could do it all in one shot if you wanted to. Then it's just going to take a year or two to fully break down. I'm talking about the gypsum and getting your calcium-magnesium ratio where you want it to be. So would you save a little bit by banding your nitrogen? Yes. We usually figure 5 to 15%. But honestly, if it's me and I got center pivot irrigation, I'm just throwing the nitrogen out that way. That's what I do. Then I save myself the trip over the field, and then I can put on whatever I want, whenever I want. Now, I don't know if you have any way to variable rate that across the field. I mean, that would be one thing where you might say, well, I can't do that with my pivot, but I could do that with my ground rig. Well, then that might be something I, I may be interested in, a reason why I might be more willing to spend the money on the application to run across the field with the ground rig and ban that fertilizer. But yeah, I mean, you, you got some options and I agree with you when you have water, um, <laughs> you get to, uh, life's a lot easier because now you don't have to worry about losing your nitrogen to evaporation. You don't have to worry about, Oh, am I going to get it into the ground or anything like we do? So, uh, that, that is certainly a big advantage. Right, let's head back to the phone lines here. Got Tony with us down in Missouri with a lime question. Tony, how you doing? Doing well. You? You know, can't complain. We're starting to cut some silage just, uh, today here, so we're pretty fired up about harvest getting going on our farm, so we can start seeing how things turn out. How about for you? What are you thinking on this lime? Um, I used to make lime. I worked at a quarry. It was rated best in the state of Missouri, but I. We made, you know, what escaped our plant in a slurry had to be better. But does each state or testing lab test lime differently? Ours was e 800 ENM. Uh, you know, on your show or anyone else, I never hear it talked about that way, ENM. Um, so... If it's finer, it's got to be better quality, but the state of Missouri wouldn't say that that slurry was any better than, you know, what I made at the plant. 
Okay, so since you called in, I, I just on my computer here pulled up because I know Minnesota does this and they run lots of tests. And the, the last thing they have is ENP, effective neutralizing power per ton. Uh, so what's the ENM? What's the M standing for? Material. Oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, so basically the same thing. But anyway, yeah. yes, a lot, a lot of people will do it that way. But there are the, the other really big factor here is how much will pass through a certain sieve size. We were talking about the fineness of the grade. That's a that's enormous when it comes to the uh, effective calcium carbonate equivalent. That's the other thing that a lot of the labs will use the ECCE. So yes, there are several different ways to measure the whole thing and ultimately what for every farmer they're going to care about is well what's my price and how how much is it going to cost me to get my ph fixed and then i come back to okay the fineness as well because the finer that lime the faster that ph change is going to occur so anyway those are all things to look at most labs can run all these tests it's just a question of what do they favor how do they run stuff so for example like on this minnesota site that i'm at the biggest sieve size or smallest i should say that they show is 60. well like on the tests from the farmer that just sent stuff in on both of those labs they had 100 mesh screen well i want to see what goes through a 100 mesh screen not just a 60. so yes everybody may record or show you different things but they can all test it the same way if they want all right okay that was a question i had you bet yep yeah, thanks, thanks a lot tony. tony really appreciate that We'll get more. We'll get into more of the questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up right after this. When it comes to your tillage equipment, stop compromising and start doing more in one pass. New from McFarland Ag, the Insight 5200 with an independent blade configuration lets you get more done in less time. Ideal for rocky or sticky soil, the 5200 has two sets of independently mounted blades adjustable up to 12 degrees, a unique chopping reel, and five different finishing attachments, giving you the perfect seedbed. Learn more about the Insight 5200 by visiting McFarlandAg.com today. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. 
Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren, live in the Morton studio right before the break. We were talking about how different labs or different states may give different information. They can all test Lyme the same way. But one of the things that I really encourage you to do is run your own tests. Rather than trust somebody else, I wouldn't. I just run your own tests because think about it. You've got... It may, at least hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of dollars at stake on your farm. When you think about the value of your whole farm and what that could be long term, it's important. And you don't want to throw tons of stuff out there per acre without knowing exactly what it is. That's, I guess, one of my biggest concerns for you. Don't put stuff where you don't need it, but do put lots of the right things where you you definitely need it. But Anyway, just here's a quick example. We talked earlier about sugar beet lime. So I just went, I'm on the state of Minnesota's website with lime analysis reports. And I, I had just mentioned right before the break, there's nothing here that says what goes through a hundred mesh sieve. Well, I know that a lot of the sugar beet lime does. So that's worth a lot to me. But the second thing is it doesn't tell me what any of the other nutrients are in there. I want to know how much phosphorus am I getting? How much iron am I getting? How much zinc am I getting? How much of any of these other nutrients am I getting besides just the calcium carbonate? So yeah, it's great to to see some of the tests that are out there. And I appreciate that the state does some of this kind of stuff. So you get at least some kind of idea of, with all these different sources of lime that are around the state of Minnesota. It's interesting to compare those things. But like we always talk about, just do your own testing. Doesn't cost much money, doesn't take much time, but then you know for sure what's going on your ground. All right, let's dive into a herbicide question. This one comes in from Justin. He doesn't say where he's at. I'm guessing he's somewhere further south than us based on his choices here. But Justin says, I'm looking for advice on my soybean chemical program. For several years, I've been using Fierce EZ and Fierce XLT at two ounces per acre each for my pre-emerge, followed by Enlist One and Durango for the post-pass. I really like the residual at the Fierce products, but every now and then I see the PPO burning stunting of the beans early on, and I do feel like that stunting is starting to hurt yields. Just wondering what you'd recommend using upfront that still gets decent control, that won't burn, 
followed by another residual post uh, residual product with the post pass. I was thinking just fierce MTZ pre and then a metallicor or dual like product in my post pass. Yeah, I'm good with that. I I'd be I'd be just fine with that. My you know, question see, is when with is the, with the fierce brand, we do see a little bit more burn when we've got that group 15 in with the PPO. Yep. You know, versus just we a do. straight valor, we we see more crop response but, with but, fierce, but the weed control is better as well. Yes, but here's my question. When is this getting applied? So if it's no-till, we don't see that much splash up or anything like that. I don't I don't see a real big issue. Where we see more of an issue is where there's been some tillage done and the spraying is done after planting. So instead, you could apply that fierce before you you do the tillage. And then as long as you're just doing light tillage, your fierce will still work great. You'll see less crop response, less splash up, I'm, I'm trying to say. And you, you, you'll you'll just be overall happier. So that's how we like to do it on our farm when we're doing tillage. We put the product out first, then we lightly till it in. Again, if it's going to be no-till or let's say it's strip-till, well, that's a different deal. And yes, I don't have a real big issue if you want to do it after you plant, but there's always a little bit more risk that way. So pre-plant is typically best if you want less crop response. But even that little bit of crop response you're seeing, almost always, and we have studied this for 20 years, almost always it's just cosmetic. So... I'm not going to tell you don't go scout your field, but at least when you're looking, when you are looking at it, don't get too worked up because typically it's going to turn out just fine. All right, Brian, get get a few things here. This one comes from Josh down in central Oklahoma. It's a very fine print in these. Maybe we could have blown up our Print, Janelle printed these out for us. And Soil pH is five point eight. What's the question? Okay, so he's got he's got manure. So, oh, all right. Okay. So Josh says I've got really fine uh, loamy sand all the way down to eighty inches. So drainage is excessive, gets pretty droughty at times. So we're putting a pivot in, uh, and we've got an we get access to a large amount of hog manure. So uh, this is going to be a hay field that we're going to put manure on. I got manure analysis from two different lagoons that we'll get the manure from. My question is about uh, how much can I put out there with the amount of salt that's in there? How many tons per acre can I put on before that salt is going to become an issue? Since I'm super sandy, can I get away with more salt? Uh, what are your guidelines that you got? And he's got uh, a few other questions in here too. But hmm. basically, he's, he's going to put alfalfa out there in the fall of 2023. I was just wondering uh, about... Oh. So he could do a bunch now because those salts will be gone by then. Yeah, he's going to put and out a sorghum only, or Sudan hay. Uh, yeah, this says only 15 pounds of soluble salt per 1,000 gallons. So that's not much. So it's actually pretty low. Exactly. So how many tons could he put out? Is 10 well, tons yeah, the but, nutrient but, content going to be super, super high? Yeah, but here's the thing. I don't know. I hate to say that I don't know if I trust this lab. <laughs> <laughs> but but it would be interesting to see what the lab says and their recommendations for how they're figuring salts. And it would also be interesting to see if this went to, let's say, Midwest Labs, a lab that we are familiar with, and how they test stuff. So it just seems exceptionally low for the amount of nutrients that are in there. So, yeah, I, I, I guess for a year from now, 
oh, I'm not worried about your salt issue at all. I'd put a whole bunch out and you'll be fine with that light of soil by next next fall. So whatever crop you're going to raise in the meantime, I mean, that could suffer a little bit. We've overdone it on our farm before and it's it, it's just, it is kind of hard to know. But I, I, I will tell you at least what this test shows, that's really low for salt on a thousand uh, per pounds per thousand gallons. All right. The other thing you want to run too, as you put that irrigation system in, is run a water test on your irrigation water to yes. see what kind of water quality you've got there, because that'll but, that'll have an influence as well. Yeah. Now I don't, and maybe it was on here somewhere. I don't think I saw his cation exchange capacity, but I did see half a percent organic matter, which usually tells me that is a pretty sandy field. If that's the case, then we just don't get that worried about it. And so this is one of the reasons why many of the labs in the southern United States, where they are dealing with just about pure sand, they don't even run tests on sodium and, and soluble salts because they know it's just going to flush out right away anyway. I still like seeing the tests, but I agree there probably isn't going to be a whole lot that sticks around in the soil very long. All right, Brian, I sent you this email, so pull that up really quick because this test didn't... Uh come through on the print here. Uh, this is Cameron in Colorado with the test. He said, I got a test for lagoon water. Question one, the sodium level is 0.35 pounds per thousand if I did my conversion rate correctly. Uh, just wonder if that's a problem. Question two, potassium usable by alfalfa that's already planted. Is this potassium going to be usable? I've got alfalfa already planted. Yes. Question. Uh, yep, that, that would be uh, okay. And I don't see where the sodium. I don't know where he's getting the sodium thing. I don't. I don't see a sodium it's test a, in there. I said point three five per thousand. Yeah. Wait, I don't. Wait. Wait. Maybe we only got one page of your sample yeah. here. Um, yeah, because I don't see that. Camera. But anyway. Yeah, I don't see a sodium on here too. Uh, and then he said, uh, if water, if applied to water with point two milligrams per liter of sodium is one gallon per seventy seven, delivering sodium no higher than. Boy, that's. That's tough. I'd... Okay, so he's just wondering, <laughs> is that going to increase my sodium levels? I have 4% sodium on my base saturation right now, or or are there other uses for water I didn't think of? Okay, well, one of the things, we don't know what his soil looks like. Just like in the, the last person who sent the tests in, we had, or he at least told us, hey, I got really sandy ground. And I could see at least with the organic matter, yeah, it's really light, but I don't know his CEC. So well, this okay. is why we always and like this, seeing and this the test soil has, test. This test has salt, and salt right. is different than sodium. Exactly. So, Salt's leachable. But in, anyway, the, his question is, can he put more sodium on, even though he's already at 4% base saturation sodium? I'd be concerned. So I would keep my rate really low on that. And I'd be supplementing with some commercial fertilizer or do something else. And you know what? Hey, if it's not your lagoon, you don't have to take it. So if if it's something that's causing a problem on your farm, just because something's free doesn't necessarily mean it's and, good. And we got to look at how do we lower that sodium level over time? Maybe you need more sulfur. Send us your soil tests. I think we can help you a little more. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.